Welcome to the Fatherhood Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Pluff. Each week, we will cover various topics that dads struggle with in their fitness journey. I'll give you actionable steps that you can apply right away, not only to take back control of your own health, but so you're able to be a better example for your kids too. All right, welcome in to this week's episode of the Fatherhood Fitness Podcast. This week, we have a very special guest, Jordan Syatt. He is somebody I have followed for quite a long time now. He is one of the leaders in the online fitness space. Uh, just came out with a book in June uh, called Eat It, which is a great read. Uh, I like the audiobook so much, I bought the physical copy as well. And even cooler than all that is he just became a father recently which is pretty awesome. So I'll let him kind of introduce himself, maybe kind of share with us for those of for those of the listeners who don't know you. Well, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. I'm glad you like the book. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm a short, bald, nerdy guy. I like to lift <laughs> weights and help people with their fitness and nutrition. And I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for, uh, for well over 15 years, almost 20 years at this point. So but yeah, everything is good, man. Thank God. Baby's healthy. Wife is healthy. Life is good. Just eating some uh, Chick-fil-A grilled chicken nuggets right now. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Nice. Very cool. So maybe uh, can you kind of share with us a little bit kind of how um, maybe kind of how you got started and kind of where you are, maybe what you're doing now and kind of maybe kind of like kind of what led you there? Yeah, so I got started with fitness from wrestling. So again, I'm, I'm a really short guy, five foot four, come from a very short family. And uh, my mom wanted my brother and I to be able to defend ourselves. So I remember she walked in the living room one day when I was eight years old and she said, you know, I'm going to put you two in wrestling. And the only wrestling that I knew at that time was WWE style wrestling. So I remember I, I looked at her and I was like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? <laughs> and she's like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style wrestling. But I had no idea what that was. But I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. And I was really lucky because I fell in love with it and I, and I was pretty good at it. So I, I, from eight years old, I was obsessed with wrestling. And by the time I got to high school, I made varsity as a freshman. And I was good from a technique and endurance perspective. But as a freshman, I was 14 years old and I was mainly going up against juniors and seniors on varsity. So they were like 16, 17, 18 years old. So there was a very big strength discrepancy. And uh, I ended up applying to a gym a couple of towns over from me. I, I wrote them an email like they didn't have an internship program. I just wrote to them. I said, listen, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I'll, I'll clean your mats on the ground, whatever it is. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. Just let me come in and learn from you and I'll and I'll work for free. And uh, I was very lucky because they agreed. They took me under their wing and they were also super science based. They were a very, very science based facility. So from 14 years old. I was really thrust into the science-based strength and conditioning world and then nutrition world as a result of it. And uh, I was obsessed. It's all I thought about. It's all I cared about. It was just wrestling and, and strength training and nutrition and fitness. And I knew from then that I, this is what I wanted to do. And I've been doing it ever since, ever since I was 14. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Kind of having that early upbringing with it. You know, I'm not, I'm not a very big guy either. I'm only 5'5". Five, five. Okay, um, yeah. But I, uh, I, I never did wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I... I was never in wrestling, uh, looking back, um, I, something I was always interested in. Um, but just never, you know, my, my dad never did it. I, I had some cousins and stuff, but just wasn't something that this, my school I went to had or anything. And so kind of funny, you brought that up. Uh, I just talked to a friend today who's a wrestling coach and talking about signing my son up soon when he gets a little, older. he's only three, he's three and a half. Got so, it. Got it. I'm um, getting, 
get a little closer to that, but, you know, just kind of being introduced to that stuff early, I think is, think is pretty important, but a hundred percent, dude, have you, have you tried jujitsu at all? So I, I never have, I, I actually had a, um, um, so I, uh, kind of got into this. I, I'm, I'm a teacher, uh, teacher as well, kind of how I started into this, uh, but one of my uh, former students, um, her stepdad was a Krav Maga coach. Oh, wow. So I, I've gone to his club. That's, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. And so I, I had gone to that. So that's, that's kind of my only experience with combatives or anything, but Krav Maga is very intense. And depending on who's teaching it, it can be like a little bit too intense. I, yeah. uh, I lived in Israel for a few years and, um, when I was 18 and I was living there, I was, I had no money. I was super poor, but I, I found a, an academy, a Krav Maga Academy. And I was like, listen, I'll teach wrestling to your kids, like to your kids, kids classes. If you let me learn Krav Maga for free, I was like, I don't, I can't pay for membership, but like, I'll yeah. teach your classes for free. And they were like, yeah, sure. So that's actually how I started to learn Krav Maga. And also how I started to learn Hebrew is because I didn't know any Hebrew at the time either. So that's how I started to learn how to count, you know, like one, two, three, like when people are doing different strikes and whatnot. Mm. So Krav Maga is great. Krav Maga incorporates jujitsu into it, Mm. but I think everyone should do it, but especially like shorter people, like it's just, it's a really, really, really great thing to get into. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, yeah. Something I would, the first class I ever went to was, um, uh, they, they were teaching about like gun safety and what to have, what happens if you have an active shooter. So they don't, oh, they don't, man. they don't bring you in lightly. <laughs> so <laughs> I got, I got paired up with a, with a guy in the military about a foot taller than me. And he was, I had the, I had the bag and he was nailing me in the chest the whole class. <laughs> so it was fun. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, it, it can be kind of expensive too. Um, yeah. but yeah. And, and my, my son, he's young, but he's, you know, he's kind of built like I am already. And, He's strong for his age and stuff, but yeah, definitely something that you know, I want to try and, you know, he, he's in gymnastics right now. He and my daughter are both in gymnastics. Smart. So, you know, just trying and, try and introduce them to a bunch of these things, you know, kind of, so they have kind of a, you know, a foundation as they get older. I think, I think it's hard if you try and pick these things up a little later in life. You're doing it right, man. Gymnastics is the number one most important thing to put kids in. Like that's the first thing when my daughter's old enough, she's going to go in that. Like she's seven weeks old right now. So she can't even really hold her head up. I'm trying to get her strong enough. I'm yeah. like making, I'm like working on her head and tummy time and whatnot. But gymnastics is by far the best thing to start kids with. No question about it. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely fun. We go to the uh, my daughter. She's only a year and a half, so we do the parent and me class. So I get to do yeah. all the stuff with her, which is which is a lot of fun. But uh, you mentioned that when you were talking about when you when you kind of had your start at the gym that they're very science based. Mm. Um, Obviously you were, I, I think you said you were 14. Is that right? When you mm-hmm. were started there, um, you probably didn't know any different. They, they, t- they told you something and you know, you believed them, right. That, and I think, I think a lot of people do that. And I think as we get older though, I like majority of my clients are 30, 35, 40 years old. And so they don't know what's true. You know, they see mm-hmm. somebody online, they see somebody online telling them something and they automatically take it as you know, gospel, this is the way to do it. And this is what they learned when they were maybe 14, 15 years old, and they can't kind of get past that. So how do you, how do you kind of navigate that a little bit? Or how do you teach people to kind of figure out what is true? Man, it's a really good question. And it's super difficult, right? Because I think the issue before social media, and really even before the internet, but even when the internet was just early on, but definitely before social media and and absolutely before the internet, the issue was 
access to information. People, it was very difficult to get access to information. If people really wanted to learn about health and fitness, they were going to have to go to the library. And even then it might not have been very good information, but it was way more difficult to get access to, to any information regarding health and fitness, never mind good information. Mm -hmm. Now the issue is an overabundance of information where it's like, you get so much from so many different places. Like I get screenshots from people who follow me saying like, here's your post saying fruit isn't going to make you fat. Don't worry about it. And the post underneath mine is someone saying the exact opposite, saying don't eat fruit because the fructose is going to make you fat, da 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 and insulin and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, well, how am I supposed to know? It's really, really difficult. And there's no easy answer for this. But for me, the number one is I try and educate as best as I can. And my education model is really based on common sense, right? It's, I try and use common sense as much as possible. And I try and teach people critical thinking. Um, so for example, with the fruit one, I always ask him like, well, how many people do you know who got fat from eating fruit? Like how many people do you know who packed on the last 50 pounds from fucking blueberries? And they laugh and they're like, well, nobody is exactly right. So next time you hear someone on social media saying, yeah, fruit's going to make you fat. Well, let's think about it critically. Same thing with white rice. People are like, oh, carbs are bad for you. White rice is bad for you. Okay. Well, let's think about this critically. The Japanese historically have eaten white rice, not only once a day, but multiple times a day on a near daily basis for their entirety of their culture and population. And they're one of the healthiest populations in the world. So is white rice actually bad for us or is it maybe overconsumption of certain foods? Mm. And so it, it's it's teaching people how to be critical thinkers. I think for me, like I wish there was more about critical thinking when I was growing up in school. Like I, I really wish we spent less time on like learning rhombuses and uh, I don't know, <laughs> hexagons and all that and spent more time learning about critical thinking i think that would have been and also you know financial planning and all of that but yeah. critical thinking is i think the most important skill to have now unfortunately or fortunately depending how you look at it you're if you want to know the truth you're going to have to put in work and time and effort but the best thing you can do is just try it like try it for yourself and i tell people all the time like don't take my word at face value give it a shot. People are like, well, well, what if, what if someone's telling tell me I should do the keto diet and someone else is telling me I should count calories? What should I do? Try it. Try them both. Try them both for, for 30 days and see how it works. If one de delivers more results, but it's not as sustainable for you, is that really the better choice? Right? Like you might lose more weight initially with the keto diet, but like, do you really want to eliminate fucking carbs from your life? Is that sustainable? If not, then that's not the best choice. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I do so many experiments on YouTube and Instagram. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll try the carnivore diet for two weeks. And like, all right, cool. I'll try this for, for a week or a month. Or I do all these experiments, not just to show people what actually happens, but also to say like, if you really want to learn, try it, give it a shot. Because the only way you'll know if it's actually a good fit for you or not is if you try it. Yeah, no, I, I, 100% agree with that. I, you know, I've tried a bunch of the diets as well, uh, mainly some of them because when I was young and naive, I didn't know any different. I didn't know no. what worked and what didn't. But then, you know, I, I have people asking me all the time about them and I didn't know. And so I tried it, you know, I tried it for a while and I, I give my feedback. You know, I could I could read in a book. I could tell you what the science says, mm -hmm. but 
I, I don't know if people necessarily care about that. They care about how it's going to apply to them. And so like, I've tried keto and things like that, but like you said, like you mentioned white rice, I eat white rice three or four times a week. I love rice. Yeah. But I, I used to work with a lady who does keto. She swears by it, but she's been able to stick to it for like three or four years. And then, but she tells everybody about it and you know, they, they don't like it, which is fine. You know, like it worked for her, it worked for her, but you know, like she's able to stick with there, there, there's other foods she's learned to live without. There's mm-hmm. lots of foods I don't want to live without. So I knew that, that, that wasn't for me. And I think sometimes too, like we look at, uh, maybe, maybe I don't want to call anybody out, but like, there's maybe some power lifters or maybe people we grew up looking into and stuff. And we look at them as like, you know, the authority on everything. They, they were able to get really strong. They were able to have all these things. And what I've kind of learned over the years is that they might've had success despite their lack of knowledge and a lot of things, but that that's not something, I mean, most of them won't admit that there, there are, there are a lot of good people in the industry who will come back and say, you know, like I was wrong about this. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think that's really important, but most people, you know, that's hard. That's hard to, you know, tell your audience of a million Instagram followers that like, Hey, I might not have been correct on this one or something like that. And so I think that it, it is hard when you look at these people who you know, have maybe a body that you would want, and then they're giving you advice. And it, it's hard to be like, actually, you know, what they're telling you isn't necessarily true. But yeah, I mean, there's so much to discuss there. Number one, the ironic thing about people with large audiences, I mean, really anybody admitting they were wrong. It's difficult. It doesn't matter if you even like, if it's two followers or 2 million followers, people really struggle to admit when they were wrong. Ironically, when you admit that you were wrong, people respect you and trust you more. When you say, Hey, I made a mistake. People are like, wow. Well, now I know I can definitely trust them because they're going to admit it when they're wrong. Whereas if like, there are other people who dig their heels in and, and will, fight tooth and nail to defend their opinion which has clearly been proven wrong and people lose respect for them it's like well why would i trust you ever again if you can't even admit that you made a mistake so that's number one um other aspects i mean it's uh it's very interesting because you know i have a a relatively large audience and someone recently asked me ever since i've had a kid i've been getting so many questions about pre and postnatal training and nutrition and what you should do when you're breastfeeding. And, uh, I even had one woman say, would you ask your wife what I should do in this scenario? And and I had to reply and I was like, you know, just because I have a large audience doesn't mean I'm an expert in everything. Uh I, I have a very small area of expertise relative to what is available in the world. Like if you want to lose weight, I can help. If you want to build muscle or strength, I can help. If you want to improve your relationship with food, I can help. Anything outside of that is not what you should be asking me. And you shouldn't trust me just because I have a lot of followers. Like that's, it's a huge, huge mistake. It's it's, a, it's essentially an appeal to authority, um, which isn't even that accurate. An appeal to authority is a logical fallacy that people will do where like, let's say a doctor says, yeah, the ketogenic diet is the best diet for health. Yeah, well, they're a doctor. It's like, well, just because they're a doctor doesn't mean that they know what the fuck they're talking about. It doesn't mean that they they know what's right. Um, so a lot of times people will look at someone with a big audience and just assume they know exactly what they're talking about and everything, which is a big, big mistake. So I have to remind people all the time, like, don't 
ask me questions that should be sent to your physician or to your OBGYN or to your doc. Like it's, it's very, very different. So I think people are, are easily not even necessarily misled. They are easily misled, but oftentimes they mislead themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas they, they trust people they shouldn't trust. It's like, well, it's your fault. (laughs) Like, what are they? Like, you shouldn't trust someone just because you like what they post on Instagram. Right, right. That's like, I got a bunch of crypto experts on my Facebook friends list, right? (laughs) But yeah, and they're not too happy right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, but yeah, I think, you know, I think that's, um, yeah, kind of, kind of like kind of what we were going back to it. It's hard to admit you're wrong, kind of admit you're wrong. And like the people that do, you know, I, I've seen tons of stuff on your stories. Like you're, you're very active on your stories. And I, you know, I think that's a great way to connect with your audience and stuff, but like, you'll flat out say like, I don't know, you know, this, this isn't, you know, and it's like, (laughs) I think that's one reason, like, um, when I first found your account or somebody recommended your account, um, it kind of drew me to you because, you know, like not obviously like we probably don't agree on everything, but like, if I can see something and you're like, no, I don't know about, you know, like that, I I think that's pretty respectable because I know a lot of people even, you know, who, you know, have huge audiences or small audiences and they will answer every question. (laughs) <laughs> which is fine you know what i mean it's like that's fine but it's like i i i don't know like what they actually know and it's like so it's hard it's hard to you know like it, it it's hard to refer out to things i think it's hard to refer or to admit like you know, maybe I, I don't know as much about this and i think it just leaves people a little bit more confused as well yeah i agree and it also it's funny because on the creator's side you hear a lot about creators having imposter syndrome and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, of course you have imposter syndrome. You're making shit up. You're pretending like you know everything. A lot of people ask like, well, do you get burned out of social media? It's like, I don't really get burned out because I don't pretend to be someone I'm not. Yeah. And I don't have imposter syndrome because I don't pretend to have more knowledge or pretend to be more than I am. Like I'm a short, bald, nerdy Jewish guy who likes to lift weights, help people improve their relationship with food. And that's it. You can ask me other shit and I might give an opinion, but I will never, ever say this is the right or wrong way to do something when I'm not educated on that topic ever. So I have nothing to be worried about because I have no imposter syndrome because I'm not pretending. People get imposter syndrome when they pretend to be someone they're not. Right, right. And that's, you know, that's, I think that's one thing that, you know, someone brought up to me the other day about, they were talking, you said uh, kind of the relationship with food there. (coughs) Sorry about that. Um, There. They were saying, um, you know, like I can't have this because it's it's so bad, you know. Mm-hmm. But but then they, they eat it every day. <laughs> they eat it every day. They tell, <laughs> they tell themselves they can't have it. They eat it every day. And I know you're really big on flexible dieting, mm-hmm. and that I mean that's something that I I definitely practice as well. But you know, for somebody who who does it has never heard that term before, can you kind of give us a brief synopsis of what flexible dieting is? Yeah. So. Unfortunately, like everything, uh, the longer it's been around, the more it's become bastardized. Um, what it's become, I'll tell you what it's become, and then I'll tell you what it actually is. Flexible dieting has become a justification for people to eat like shit all the time. That is not what flexible dieting is. Flexible dieting is the majority of your diet, the vast majority, should be whole minimally processed, nutrient-dense foods, fruits, vegetables, proteins, carbs, fats, include everything. But the vast majority should be generally what you would look at as a healthy food, right? Fresh foods, nutrient-dense foods. Um, 
minimally processed, I think, is it generally a really good strategy to look for? Like, could it grow on its own? Was it once living? That Like that type of a thing. Whereas a very small percentage of time, I would say the 80-20 rule is a good rule to follow here. 20% of the time, you enjoy your favorite foods in moderation. Cookies, donuts, pizzas, pies, whatever you want. Enjoy it. Have fun. That's flexible dieting where you can enjoy those foods in moderation without guilt, without anxiety, without feeling like you're doing anything wrong or bad because you're not. Hmm. Unfortunately, I think flexible dieting and the way that society and, and culture and uh, politics have been moving, it's led to like, yeah, 20% of the time might want to eat healthy if you want to, but 80% of the time just do what makes you happy. Like, well, that's a very dangerous route to go down. If we're only doing what makes us happy, that I'm not a fan of chasing happiness. And some people are very confused when I say that. I think chasing chasing happiness can cause you to do drugs, can cause you to cheat on your partner, can cause do anything, right? Mm-hmm. I think chasing fulfillment is a better way to look at it. Because doing something that's fulfilling isn't necessarily fun. It's not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily going to make you happy in the short term, going to the gym to get a workout in. A lot of times I'm really tired and I have zero, zero desire to go there. And it would make me way happier to lie on the couch and eat a box of donuts and watch TV. Mm -hmm. But I will be more fulfilled if I get off the couch and I go get my workout in. So I think chasing fulfillment is a better way to look at it. And in terms of flexible dieting, it's it's an easier lens to look through when you're like, cool, like the 80% of the time I should be able to enjoy myself. I should be able to still enjoy myself, but eat whole minimally processed nutrient dense foods, feed my body properly. Don't eat like an asshole. And 20% of the time, relax, enjoy. And, and you don't have to be super strict and be like, okay, well, I need, I have only at 78% consistency and I need to get it to 80. It's like, no, it's just general rule of thumb. But sometimes it's it helps you to track what you're eating so you can actually get a better idea of like, wow, I thought that I was 80-20, but I'm actually more like 50-50. Yeah. And that way you can start to improve your nutrition. Yeah, yeah. And so, something we've been um, like, kids are a sponge, you know, they learn, they learn everything. <laughs> but uh, something my wife and I have been talking about with our son is like dessert. Like, obviously, you know, you're gonna you're like these desserts and he he's a good eater. Um, but we, we kind of talk about them sometimes foods you know Mm. like we instead of saying like this is bad for you this is healthy food we talk about like we have sometimes foods and then we have these foods that we can eat more often Mm. and stuff like that and i i found that's kind of a um like i i i never talked my my parents didn't talk about it that way with me when i was growing up and things like that you know like i think um uh going like probably i think we're similar age here so going through like how old are you uh i'm 29 yeah, yeah, I'm 31. We're very okay. close. You were okay. born in what, 93? 93, yep. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so like, you know, we had like Weight Watchers, like parents goes like Weight Watchers and Atkins yep. and all these things, you know, like do trying all these different things. And I think like, you know, maybe the 90s, early 2000s left a very bad taste in people's mouth, you know, like the yeah. good, the good and bad foods like that. And the, bro, what, do you remember snack wells? Snack wells. They like snack wells, low fat low fat cookies do you remember the like the green box i i, I never had that one. i used to drink i used to drink the uh 
slim fast shakes. <laughs> I did <laughs> those, as well. Those were good. We had, we had a whole uh, we had a whole cupboard with a bunch of slim fast shakes yeah. in there. We yeah. had you ever hear Nutrisystem? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my yep Nutri. Yep. Do a number on your stomach, but yeah. Oh yeah. I remember my dad got so mad because I ate all of his Nutrisystem fries one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All yeah. All those. Th- yeah. The uh, uh, slim fat like and I and. I think that's one of the things too, like where the education comes in, because I used to like, like chug those slim fat, like thinking, oh, it's going to help me get slim, you know? And so it's like, it's like, you Genius know, I was marketing. Yeah. Marketing. And I was yeah. like, I was like a 10 year old kid, you know? And I was like, yeah. Um, and they were, they were good, but like, I used to eat those food, like, you know, like they used to have like, um, uh, the hundred calorie snacks. They were, mm-hmm. they were marketed as a hundred, you know, I'd eat five of them but they were yeah. you know there's a little cookie um they were like oreo bites or something like that yeah, they like, had like the the mini muffins they were like yeah, mini muffins. they're yeah. the, like they're the size of a blueberry it's like 100 calorie packs of these mini muffins like what the fuck is this it's like yeah. i'm popping a pill <laughs> like i'm taking a multivitamin <laughs> like this, yeah. is, this is so not filling i will need to eat 15 of these bags in order to feel some semblance of full right right and i i like i think uh, even for me like i know this stuff now but it's still hard to get out of that. It's still like we were watching, you know, the Chiefs game the other night on Sunday and I was eating a piece of cheesecake and in my head, you know, I'm, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, like what, like even I know I, I'm teaching this to people and I, I still like, it's hard to get out. It's hard mm-hmm. to get out of that. And I know you talk about um, kind of that relationship with food and like for some people tracking their food mm-hmm. um, can be, you know kind of be a downward spiral. It kind of, you know, they, they, they get anxiety around it and stuff, but, there's another set of people too that tracking can actually be very like liberating where you know they're able like oh wow you know i had this cookie and i'm still hitting my protein goal i'm still you know i'm still getting enough fiber in and it's not the end of the world you know and so that that i was in, i was in that camp there when i when i first tracked my food when i realized that I wasn't actually burning back 700 calories on my fitness pal. <laughs> you know, th- things really started to change there. So Yeah. Yeah, man, it's I fell into the trap, the the flexible dieting trap. It's interesting. It, it actually stem, stems from an old old uh group or cult. Do you remember the if it fits your macros mm-hmm. group? Yep. So this I I remember when it first started in like the early 2000s and being on the bodybuilding.com forums and yeah. If it fits your macros crowd, and and it really grew into a huge, huge, huge community. But the whole idea is you can eat whatever you want as long as it fits within your macros. Right. And this was seen as a form of flexible dieting. But people took it to an extreme, like they do in the fitness industry. Everything is on an extreme, and they're like, "Oh, so I can eat literally anything as long as it fits within my calories," which they're correct from a weight loss perspective and a right. weight maintenance perspective. You can eat anything you want, Twinkies, donuts, Pop-Tarts, Ho-Hos, whatever, all of it. Mm -hmm. If it fits within your calories, you'll lose weight. But there's a difference between weight loss and health. They're not the same thing. And that's something that as I've gotten older and as I've had kids and all this, it's like, oh, so I should actually be eating more nutrient-dense foods, focusing on fiber, make sure I'm getting a lot of – hitting my micronutrients as well. This is where it's like, no, it's not just – like calories matter, but they're not all that matter. Right. And, and so it's important to understand that as well. And I think it, that's where the bastardized version of flexible dieting becomes a, a big issue. It's not the real version of flexible dieting. It's the fake version of it. It's the, 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 yeah, it's the fake version of it that really screws with people and their health. 
Yeah, and I, I, that's definitely something I got caught in too when I first started tracking my calories because I realized yeah. if I weigh my food, I track my calories, I'm under my calorie goal, I lose weight, you know? And I got really good at tracking. I like, I got really good at tracking my calories. I was cause like, it doesn't even bother me. You know, I knew I could tell you how many calories were in something. When I started hitting my protein goal, that's when things really started like kind of shifting, you know, like in the gym too, like I'm able to build muscle and stuff, but I never paid attention to fiber. I never, I never mm -hmm. looked at, you know, like I would just, all I cared about were calories and then once I got that down, I worried about protein yep. and and that that's kind of as far as I went. And then I realized like, I haven't had a vegetable in a week, <laughs> you know, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done this. <laughs> like, um, and so I, I think, um, yeah, like what you said there, that's, that's exactly, I was actually, that's exactly what I was going to say. The difference between weight loss and health, you know, yeah. and I, I would be like 200 calories under, you know, my goal or something, but I haven't had any vegetables, haven't had any fruits or anything. Is it more, is it more important that I stay under this goal or if I go slightly over and get some nutrition <laughs> with yeah. all, with all this food as well? That's one of the, the biggest issues is when you get so focused on calories, when they're all you care about, oftentimes you'll, you'll say like, well, I don't want to take up calories with an apple. Yeah. I don't want to take up calories with right. a banana. I would rather have it from this food that I would enjoy more. And that's another area where chasing happiness instead of fulfillment is a, uh, you can get really caught up in, but when you, it's when you're so tunnel vision focused on one thing and not looking at the body and our, and life as a system, uh, just like, like we have so many different moving parts. A lot of people, a lot of people will say, well, there's no way a donut can be healthy, right? I think this is really important to, there's no way a donut, you can say a donut isn't bad for you. They'll say, it's like, okay, well, let me ask you this question. If there's no way that a donut could could not be bad for you, do, who do you think has a healthier relationship with food? The person who says no to the donut every single time because they get anxious about the idea of it like ruining their health or making them fat, or the person who can have one donut in moderation without any anxiety and move on? Who has the healthier relationship with food? It's no question. It's the person who can eat it without anxiety and move on and get right back on track. Well, especially now, now more than ever, mental health has become a huge thing in society. Like so many people are backing it and supporting it. It's like, well, if now we understand that health isn't purely just physical and we understand health is also mental, psychological, uh, emotional, environmental, all of these things, it's like, cool. So you can actually start to look at it as a food that can play a role in your health and it is not inherently bad. In fact, if you can't eat it without anxiety, that's a sign that you're not healthy. So it, it's a really, it's, it's not just about the nutrient makeup of the food, the caloric density of the food or any of that. It's also about your relationship with the food and how you think of the food. And, and there's so many, so many aspects in which this can really come into play. Yeah. And no, I think, I think that's huge. And that's, you know, especially since, you know, like I became a dad, you know, I've, um, learn things a lot quicker. You're kind of forced to and kind of forced to kind of pick some of these things up. But um, like my, my son, he, you know, like one thing I try and teach with my clients is, you know, that eating slowly, eating until satisfied rather than until full. But if mm -hmm. you watch your kids, they're pretty good at it naturally. <laughs> like my, my son can take a bite of cheesecake and then he'll say, my belly's full and he's yeah. done. He's yeah. done. I'm eating the whole cheesecake, yeah. whether I want it or not. You know, uh, once I start it, like I have this, and I, I, that's one thing I always talk about too, is 
I think most of us grew up with this mindset where you, you were told you have to finish your plate. Mm-hmm. You always have to finish your plate and getting people, you know, we don't live, we live in a world of refrigeration. Now <laughs> we have Tupperware, we have all this stuff. Like you can save it until later. I think it's really hard. It's really hard to kind of, you know, change some of those, not necessarily what you're eating, but how you're eating. Yeah. You want to know why most people, most adults will finish that cheesecake, even if like they don't want to. Most adults will finish that cheesecake, whereas a child will say, no, I'm full because the child isn't looking at at it as a failure that they're eating the cheesecake. Right. They're not looking at eating at the cheesecake as like, well, this is after this, I have to get back on track with my diet. Yeah. They're not looking at it as like, okay, well, this is the last treat I'm going to have before I get back on. Yeah. They're just like, I'm done with this right now. That's it. And there, it doesn't go past that. Whereas for most adults in their mind, they're like, I'm having something bad. So once this is over, I have to get back on track. No more bad foods, which means I won't have this for a while. So I'm going to eat this whole thing now because I know I'm not going to have it again for a long time. The child isn't thinking that the child is purely thinking this tastes good, but I'm full. So I'm done. That's it. And that's why it's so important to remove the, this is bad for me and I can't do this. I'm doing something wrong. Cause once you eliminate that, then this happens all the time. I had a client who was anytime people tell me they're all or nothing people, they're either eating one slice of pizza or the whole pizza. I mean, they're either eating no pizza at all or the entire pizza. I hear this all the time. I'm either having the entire cheesecake or no cheesecake. Well, it's because in your mind, once you've had one bite, you've considered yourself a failure. Yeah. And and now from there, cool, you're going to eat the whole thing because you, you've already failed. So why bother not eating it? And you know, once it's done, you're not going to eat it again for a long time. You're going to restrict, 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 restrict. So just eat the whole thing. That it's, it, this is such a huge issue with people in their food. That's why we can't be looking at it from the perspective of good and bad, right or wrong, healthy or unhealthy. We have to look at it th- from the perspective of if you can get to a point where you can enjoy one or two slices of pizza and stop when you're full and know you did nothing wrong. Well, now you have a great relationship with food. It's, yeah. it's, it's not, I'm going to force feed myself this, even though I'm not hungry, simply because I'm not going to allow myself to have it for a long time. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing that <clears throat> if you watch your kids, um, they, you know, they're very present. They're very present on what they're doing. You know, they're, they're playing, they're playing, right. They're, they're eating, they're eating, and they're doing all these things. We're on the computer all day. We're on social mm-hmm. media. We're, we're, we're constantly all these things. It's go, 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 go. And so one thing I like to work on is you know sitting down. That's the first thing. Sitting down while you eat, not doing it in the car, you know, not, not eating while you're in the car and having the TV off, you know, not having your phone. And I think just those simple things right there can go a long way because once you're like, if, if I'm, you know, watching a football game and I got my phone in my hand, and I ordered DoorDash or something. It's like I'm eating that whole thing. You know, I don't. I don't care. Like, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. But if I've got my phone put away, you know, I'm sitting at the table with my wife and my kids. You know, we're sitting here talking about how the day went. I, I surprise myself sometimes because I'm like, you know, like I, I don't think I can finish this. Do you want some of this? You know, like I used to be the person that finished everybody else's meal, maybe because I thought it was a challenge, which it's a whole <laughs> other topic. But <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, it's just some of the like, I think there's a lot of factors that go into eating. I think there's a lot of factors that go into eating. And I think it takes like 
people kind of expect like, you know, when, if they hire a coach or, you know, they start doing it this way, it's automatically going to switch. Like mm-hmm. it took you, you know, 35 years, it took you your whole life to get to this point. It's going to probably take, even though you don't want to hear it, it's probably going to take more than 12 weeks to get out of that. It's going to take years. Yeah. It's going to take years. If it took you, if you walked for 10 years into the forest, you better be prepared for a long walk out of the forest. Even if you're running, like you walk 10 years in that forest, you're going to have to jog back for at least five. Like it's going to take a while because, and it's funny, like the title of my book is eat it. But for a long time, I wanted the title of my book to be the five-year plan, but obviously no publisher is going to publish like that. Just it's not specific enough. Like people don't know what it means. I get it. But most people do not understand it's going to take usually at least five years because there's so much shit that you have to undo and unlearn and teach yourself. And within those five years, there's going to be periods of time where you fuck up. There's going to be periods of time where you, you fall off track, like you gain weight, like you aren't paying attention. Like there's going to be periods, like it accounts for all of that. It's not five years of perfection. It's five years of ups and downs and twists and turns and holidays and traveling and breakups and, and all this stuff. And at the end of those five years, you'll finally learn how to how to incorporate all this into a healthy lifestyle. You might not even be at your ultimate goal yet. Like, I don't think anyone ever actually reaches their ultimate goal. Like, even you look at Olympic athletes who get gold. Well, now they've just moved the goalpost further. It's like, well, now I want two. Now I want three. Now I need to beat my record that I set that time. It's like, there's always something else. Like, it's most people are never at their ultimate goal which is a whole separate conversation in and of itself. But the reality is like, it takes at least five years of, of very consistent hard work in order to finally get a grip on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's a book called uh, the gap in the gain by uh, Dan, Dan Sullivan, Dan Sullivan. uh, He kind of had the, um, where it talks about like always measuring backwards. So instead of like comparing yourself to your ideal you measure yourself based on how far you've come. And I like, mm-hmm. since, since I kind of made that mindset shift, it's, it's made things like in everything, every area of your life, it's made it so much better. Like trying you know, getting into a fitness routine or um, I, I used to be a night owl and then it's not, not always great when you're a parent, you know, being a night owl. And so I, I, I tried for a long time to become a morning person. And then I like, I would, you know, I'd get up really early for a few days and, and I kind of go back to my old way and get it, do it again. And then like all of a sudden it's been like two years. And then, but if I look back, I'm like, okay, like three, four, five nights a week, I'm pretty consistent. You know what I mean? And yeah. I yeah. think that, you know, that sustainability factor, you know, find being able to find a nutrition plan you can stick with, find an exercise plan you can stick with that is sustainable is much more important than, you know, f- maybe, no, I, well, I saw online that this is the best way to structure your workouts and stuff like this. I think finding something that is just more sustainable is going to bring more benefits long-term. Agreed. A hundred percent. Well said. Yeah. And you were, you, you kind of, I know you kind of talk about too, like, um, with like, uh, kind of walking daily and stuff. And mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of the, uh, um, like obviously I, I work with dads, so I work with dads. So the, the biggest factor is one time, uh, time, finding time to work out. Um, and so h- how would you, what, what, what have you found that has worked for your clients of, you know, just, I, they come to me, they tell me, you know, you know, I don't have any time I'm working. I, I got my wife's schedule. I got my kid's schedule. What I usually do when I start working with them is we kind of map out the whole calendar, put your wife's events on there, put your kids events on there, schedule your workouts around that. 
protect mm -hmm. that time, protect that time there. Even if it's only one day a week, one day a week, we can work with that, you know, just build off of something. But for somebody who's maybe a, a desk worker, has multiple kids, they all got events, how, what, what would be the first step you would take to kind of get into a fitness routine? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the most important one is just, is actually what you do outside the gym, right? You might be in the gym two to five hours a week, max. Like you shouldn't really be in there much more than that. So like, I think what you do outside the other hours of the gym is, is far more important. So that like just getting your steps in, just walking. And it, it's funny. <laughs> a lot of people have, uh, wherever I've been, I've shown people like, if you want to do it, you'll make it happen. Like right. when I was in my 500 square foot apart, like actually like 450 square foot apartment in New York city in lockdown, I was still getting 10,000 steps every day. Oh. And people are like, well, how are you doing this? Well, I'm literally walking back and fucking forth in my apartment for like an hour and a half throughout the day. And like, if I have a phone call, I'll get up and I'll walk. I'm not going to sit down during the phone call. Like I'll stand up and I'll walk around. Um, it's like, I'll make sure like, it's the little things. I'll make sure that like, if you know what, like instead of just taking the shortest path, I'll take a longer path. I'll take extra laps for no reason. Like I'll, I'll make a game out of it. But I think getting your steps in, someone actually asked me yesterday on my Instagram Q and a, they said, is doing like cleaning the house throughout the day, does that count as exercise? Mm. And and I said, technically, no, because um, it has a separate category, right? So this is called non-exercise activity thermogenesis, NEAT for short. Mm. Exercise, it, by definition, it has to be planned, right? It's something that you plan. Something where you're just cleaning the house, it's technically not exercise, but I think that throughout your lifetime is more important than than your planned exercise yeah. um it absolutely counts it, it's it's so important staying active getting moving like if you look at throughout human history like we're the only only people the only ones of our entire ancestors who've just sat for the vast majority of their day like they were it, they weren't necessarily like people always use the example of running from a lion they weren't running from lions all the fucking time it was like they would move and then they would relax and then they would move again and they would relax. It's like they were just more consistently moving than we are. So getting up, moving, and I understand if you have a desk job, it's difficult, but if, if you're serious about it, you're going to find the time. And if you work from home, like you've got no excuse. Like if you work from home, like get the fuck up. I have a walking pad, get a walking pad. They're like yeah. very affordable off Amazon. Um, I do a, most of my phone calls on my walking pad. Like when, nice. when I'm done with this call, I don't use it on a podcast because it can get in the way of the audio. But like when I'm doing a regular business call, I just get on the walking pad. And if I walk for an hour on that, I'll get about 8,000 steps. Yeah. Easy, easy, no problem. And that's on a very low, like not a, like a very moderate pace. I'm not going super fast. Um, so yeah, just get the hell up and move. Like I think, I think if more people saw what happens on a cellular level, when you just walk for 20 minutes, people would do it immediately. Like if people knew how much of an impact walking actually had on your health, like everyone would be doing it. Right. And I, th I think that's <clears throat> the biggest thing I, I always try and do is just hit the, hitting that step goal. I'm um, kind of like what you said there is like, if you really want it to happen, you know, there, there's ways to make it happen. You know, you could get up a little earlier. Um, when my wife and I first got married, we were in grad school and we lived in a 400 square foot apartment. <laughs> um, and I got, uh, that, that was my record that day, uh, outside of days, like you go for do 
a 5k obstacle course, something like that. But I had 30,000 steps. <laughs> we lived mm. in a, we lived in a 400. Uh, I was trying to like, I, I knew what my record was before that. And I just kept walking in circles, <laughs> like walking <laughs> back and forth. And so obviously I didn't do that every day, but that was one of the biggest things that kind of, you know, I think helps like we, um, you know, we, once we were in, like, we got married in grad school, we were not, I wasn't able to go to the gym as much. I wasn't able to, um, you know, play basketball or whatever I was doing at the time, you know, you have other priorities, working multiple jobs, things like that. And so I started, you know, I was taking the bus to class cause it was a 30 minute walk, but I started walking that 30 minutes every day. That's a, that ends up being an hour. And like that made, yeah. that made a huge, and it's something I've, I've now been doing that for years, just making sure like in the morning, since I work from home, you know, my back hurts. So I'm sitting in the chair all day, my back hurts. So I'll get up in the morning and I'll go for a walk or I've been taking the kids and, and the stroller in the morning. You know, it's, it's a fun time where we can all go together. And I think just walking is, you know, just an easy way to kind of start, even, even if you don't, um, you're not able to kind of make it to the gym. I, th I think it's an easy way to kind of get your foot in that, the door of starting to make some of those healthy habits. But. Yeah, I agree. And whether you're beginner or advanced, like the, I think the most advanced fit people walk the most, like they're doing the most walking. If you, if you look at like the best bodybuilders in the world, like they do so much, so much walking, so much low intensity, yeah. steady state cardio, like the most fit populations in the world across Greece and Europe and Asia, they walk all the time walking. The number one common denominator among the healthiest, longest living populations is walking. It's not diet because the longest living populations have very differing diets based on where they are in the world. Right. The Japanese have very different than Greek and Greek have very different than Swedish and all this. It's like the diets change drastically and dramatically, but the common denominator is movement. Right. Right. And I, yeah, I think, I think it's something that, you know, just, like you said that, you know, the vacuuming things like that, mowing the lawn, that's, that's been my thing. You know, yeah. like, I, I, like I, I push mow though. I love it. I love it. Put an audio book on, you know, it's just, it's an easy way. It's the things you don't think about, you know, you know, parking, like it sounds like people always, you know, like, Oh, you can't just park further away. And like, like, no, one day is not going to do everything, do anything. <laughs> but if exactly. you do it every day, you know, you take the stairs every day. It's like, it, it sounds simple because it is, you know? And, yep. and I think sometimes like you typically the more simple you can make it, the easier it's going to be to kind of stick to, but I know we're running close on time here. So we've covered a lot of topics here and you know, I think um, the audience has definitely learned a lot from you. Um, is there one thing you kind of want to kind of want to leave us with that you think is kind of the most important takeaway? The, I mean, move, just move. That's really it. Like if you're not, if you don't have time to go to the gym, we could talk about the the issues with that, but the most important thing you can do for your health is the things that are, that make up the vast majority of your day, which is just move, get up and move. Um, that's really it. <laughs> the more, like the more you move, the better that that's really what it boils down to. And, um, yes, having too high of a body fat can be unhealthy and it's not good. Same thing as having too low of a body fat can be unhealthy and not good, but the one way to guarantee that you stay healthy is to, to move on a consistent basis, even though you might not be shredded, might not look like a bodybuilder. It's irrelevant. Like as long as you're moving, you're improving your health. I like that. Just, just keep moving. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today. You know, I, I, I 
definitely uh, learned a lot in just that short amount of time. But congratulations again on the on Thank the birth you. of your daughter. Like that that's super exciting. I, I I'm we have we're due with our third in December. So, oh wow, let's yeah. go! That's amazing. So, yeah. So I'm a uh, uh, I love I love when uh, get new fathers, but that's awesome. But thanks again. I really appreciate that. Thank you, man. Have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you. That concludes this episode of the Fatherhood Fitness Podcast. Thank you for those of you who took time out of your busy schedules to listen. If you have any questions or comments or an idea for a topic for a future episode, please feel free to reach out and I'd love to hear from you.